brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. My name is Spencer Walsh. We have a good one for you today, as always, on Newsflash. We are bringing you the latest from the southern border where Joe Biden, despite his best efforts, has gotten into some trouble with his chosen policy for immigration, even though he tried to, of course, make himself appear as someone who is a little bit more sensitive to these migrant rights. There has been some policy dust-ups in recent days, definitely worth highlighting. We're going to bring them to you, and also a very critical administration figure was on TV tonight to give you his response. We'll bring that to you before anybody else here on Newsflash. Meanwhile, Tara Reid, an attorney for her, has approached a swath of media outlets demanding they correct a claim that she lied about graduating from college. We'll tell you what that's about. Ryan Grimm on the story in The Intercept. Meanwhile, the Amazon Union fight heats up as high stakes continue to get higher at the Amazon warehouse as they continue to fight the corporation against the Union Drive. We'll keep you posted on the latest from there. And if there are any other major stories to bring you tonight, we will keep you posted, ladies and gentlemen, as we get on the march to 500 Newsflash episodes. It's really going down there, folks. Thank you so much for listening, because, ladies and gentlemen, we're pleased to welcome you into today's show. This is Newsflash. 494. All right, today we start, ladies and gentlemen, on the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, where the migrants' hopes who have been drummed up by human smugglers who promised that President Biden's administration will welcome them. As the New York Times here reporting on this, uh, we are here with the United States expelling them, expelling thousands of migrants back to Mexico, where they would wait along with tens of thousands of others hoping to cross. The pressure and desperation is quickly building among families stuck in Mexico as shelters and officials struggle to help them. So these are people who are coming across um, see uh, just really in what looks like to be a complete and utter mess of chaos and lack of information here as the United States um, sees right now federal authorities who are scrambling to manage a sharp increase in children who are crossing the border on their own and then being held in detention facilities often longer than permitted by law. 
And the twin crises on both sides of the border show no signs of abating. And this is kind of an interesting situation here because, of course, we talk about, you know, the family separations at the border. And it's important to be super clear about, like, where these policies dif- like differentiate between Trump and, and Biden because there is a pretty significant difference there. Um, there is a, you know, there is a certain degree, like, lack of cruelty but uh, that we see and just kind of just humaneness or germaneness, I guess, would probably be the more appropriate word that we see from Biden as opposed to Trump, where there is so much of a emphasis on deterrent policy that we saw from Trump where we didn't really see under Biden. But in in effect, though, the result is still the same. We still see the uh, prison industrial complex being put to use for children on the border who, whatever you think, like these are people, these people coming over the border, a huge, huge increase in unaccompanied children. These people are not criminals. They should not be treated as criminals. Um, and things like detention centers are just not the right place for them in any any in any sort of humane society. Like we are seeing the same expansion of these resources, which, by the way, is going to and they're they're not obviously going to do the humane thing and kind of like make this less of a detention center, more of kind of like a foster home situation, um, some sort of like like the make it the, make the emphasis on care for once, not on detention and detaining and criminalizing. Uh, something that is inherently, in my opinion, and I think in any reasonable person's opinion, not a criminal act to do in the first place. Um, but yeah, like, they are, they're clearly in a very, very tough situation here. Um, as people, uh, a group of mothers and fathers clutching their children were sobbing as they walked back in Mexico uh, from the United States on Saturday. They walked unsteadily in sneakers too loose after their shoelaces, was, shoelaces were confiscated and discarded along with other personal items when they were detained by the United States Customs and Border Protection. Like, this is the stuff that doesn't happen to happen. You don't have to put these people up in the Ritz or whatever, but, like, there's no need to take away these people's shoelaces. These are unaccompanied kids coming across the border in what seems like a situation, like, where we're trying to, of course, as as Democrats here, who one of the biggest things about the Biden administration, like, the, the assumption was that, yes, we would see some decency, we would see America be respected again on the world stage, like, this is going to be some, like, where we see a completely different situation. Um, it won't be all, all the same as it was before, but, I mean... We're, if we're going to try and establish ourselves as humane, like the one thing we should not do is even if, like we don't. I'm not saying I'm not going to expecting Biden to actually like really put a lot of effort into like complete. And this is what my opinion. What we should do is just like completely remodeling and uh, restructuring the foster care system, which is already in need of a lot of uh, remodeling and restructuring, and then really use that to shoulder some of the burden of all these unaccompanied minors coming in. But at least something you don't have to do is treat these people as if they're criminals, as if they're coming in here to do a crime, uh, as as opposed to coming out of here with just a desperation and trying to push off the burden because our our society and our country doesn't function really well enough to handle it. Um, yeah, so Enrique uh, Valenzuela is a coordinator for the Mexican government's migration efforts in Chihuahua State. He knew that if he couldn't get to these migrants coming over from the United States to Mexico, organized crime networks who prey on migrants' desperation to extort or kidnap them for ransom probably would. So, I mean, again, like where, where we see all this kind of chaos, this lawlessness, this lack of resources, and so many desperate people in one place, that draws, obviously, the worst of people. Organized criminals, gangs, um, cartel members coming into the situation and just exploiting completely vulnerable people. Um, the borders closed, Valenzuela said. Uh, Come with me, I will help. He let uh, the group into the office near the rusty border wall that separates El Paso from Ciudad Juarez. 
uh, top with Miles and new concertina wire in final weeks of that was assaulted with the fire weeks of Donald J. Trump's administration officials said Jenny Contreras, a 19 year old Guatemalan mother of three um, uh, mother of a three year old collapsed in a seat as Mr. Valenzuela handed out hand sanitizer. I did not make it. She sobbed into the phone as she spoke with her husband, a butcher in Chicago. Biden promised us well another woman. And again, here's the thing. Biden didn't Biden like. But the, the, the thing is, Biden is a symbol of hope and a symbol of like um, a better world, especially after Trump and especially after like the way he has been branded in the media. It makes it all too easy for these promises, oftentimes made by these coyotes and these kind of very uh, like uh, low life people to they can make him seem all the more realistic and make him seem all the more um t- like believable. Like this is a crisis now that is attracting a lot of attention at the border. Uh, it's going to be interesting to take a look at how uh, Ron Klain handles this. I think probably one of the more influential, turning out to be one of the more influential, one of the more like definitely one of the people to watch inside the new Biden administration on Media Assange show and MSNBC talking about immigration. So here is like like again the pretty much my point on this here is it doesn't have to be again we're talking about we're not talking about the rich we're not talking about four seasons but there is no reason to treat these kids um in any kind of way like they're criminals and just to treat them with basic human care and decency and don't pen them off don't put them in cages don't separate them uh from their families where as a kind of deterrence policy or wherever possible just don't do it at all in any way whatsoever um and just, yeah, like, treat these people humanely. Don't try and separate them. Don't try and criminalize them. Um, let's take a look at this exchange between Ron Klain, a very, very important official in the White House, and Mehdi Hassan, an MSNBC journalist. More than 3,200 unaccompanied migrant children are being housed in Customs and Border Protection holding facilities, the highest number ever, and more than half of them have yeah. been held beyond the three-day legal limit. Uh, the Associated Press, Ron, is reporting this weekend that children are being held in packed conditions with some sleeping on the floor. Some have to wait five days or more to shower. They say your administration is blocking lawyers from accessing those facilities. Look, this isn't family separation. I know that. But it's still an outrage and unacceptable, is it not? Of course it's an outrage and it's unacceptable. We inherited a government that had allowed the number of beds to safely and humanely house these children, uh, administered by the Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, had allowed it to shrink to a record low number. So now we have children arriving at these border patrol stations and no facilities, no safe, no uh, no uh, legally licensed and a lot facilities. And of the same facilities here lic- that Ron Klain is talking about um, and a lot of the so like the existing bedrock policy, uh, in turn, you can make the case was um, in large part the groundwork was laid by an Obama administration that was also incredibly tough and incredibly draconian on this policy, but did it in a way that was kind of out of the spotlight where Trump's whole political agenda was making sure that poor treatment of migrants was very much in the spotlight. But either way, for the migrants, the situation on the ground very much remains sadly the same and staff to uh, house the children. And so we are working night and day to increase that capacity that had been allowed to shrink to create enough safe beds for the children, to create places where they can uh, stay until we can reunite them with relatives here in the U.S. or or with safe uh, sponsors for them to stay permanently in the U.S. until they have their asylum hearings. So uh, so we inherited a real lack of capacity. 
And what he's saying there, that definitely I think is the right approach. Like having them in the in the United States with people who can take care of them, not just like shoved back into Mexico or put in these awful asylum centers that are run by private companies who like treat these these migrants awfully. And that's going to be again a big kind of part of the underbelly, the kind of prison industrial complex that's being expanded into immigration here because that's 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 the next big spot. That's the next big money money hole to go uh, suck money out of. Like there, that's going to be a big bidding war that is kind of happening behind the scenes here uh and it's another uh, very interesting thing to watch capacity uh it's hard to ramp up that capacity you can't just take children and put them in a hotel room they need to be in a place where they are uh safely protected they need to be a place with staff you- the staff needs to be trained the staff needs to be licensed you know these are very uh you know challenging needs that we are rapidly moving to accelerate but there's no question at this point in time Understood. we have too many children in these border patrol stations Exactly. It's the border patrol stations is the issue. HHS facilities are separate. They're not supposed to stay there longer than three days. They are. Can you tonight guarantee, because the Justice Department said they wouldn't, the White House didn't respond to AP's request. Can you tonight guarantee on this show to our audience that the White House will allow lawyers to access those border protection holding facilities to check on those kids who haven't showered for five days? Matty, I'm unfamiliar with that issue. I can tell you I will look into it tomorrow morning and see why there's any problem with lawyers having access to uh, to children in Border Patrol stations. To give credit to uh, to Matty Hassan, um, he was pretty uh, pretty strong on that. Um, he's he's de- generally gives a pretty good interview to a lot of different people. Um, so yeah, let's let's take a look at uh, some of this. Ron is reporting this weekend that children are being held in packed conditions with some sleeping on the floor. Some have to wait five days or. Oh, this is just the same clip. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, that was a little misleading. I gotta say, two two the same clips, but um, yeah, it's it's very important to get, like get these questions out there, and we will continue to keep a very very close eye uh, on this situation. So. Uh, without further ado now, we will move on to our next story, uh, and that is Tara Reid. Tara Reid, who last year accused presidential candidate Joe Biden of sexually assaulting her in 1993, is locked in a battle with the New York Times and other outlets over their portrayal of her educational professional background. Reid, through an attorney, has demanded a correction or clarification over the media's claim she lied about having a college degree from Antioch University in Seattle, her undergraduate institution. Letters have been sent to the Washington Post, the Associated Press, CNN, and Politico, the Times, and other outlets who uh, have responded are standing by their reporting. So the Times spokesperson said Eileen, uh, Eileen Murphy said that she believed that the story was accurate, saying that pretty much... Um, saying that she lied about graduating from Antioch. So, to prove her case, Reed, through an attorney, obtained a cache of records from her college and law school, which provided the Times, which were provided the Times, as well as other members of the media, including The Intercept. The question of whether she graduated from college, which she later served, or where she later served on the faculty, is complicated. The documents do make it clear, however, that Reed, uh, the, the, the story Reed told of her graduation is, was that it was handled in a unique private way to her domestic violence-related legal name change is consistent with her files on the record. So, yeah, we have Tara Reed, who I believe was originally Tara Alexander. Um, so and, and that was a kind of a very complicated thing that she had to change. It was one of her key stories um, that like when she started to make these claims, when it seemed almost clear just about a, about a year ago that Biden was going to be uh, heading to the presidency and and pretty much on a glide path to the nomination uh, that she was 
a victim of uh, of sexual assault. And pretty much what the media did, and it was a very kind of uncomfortable situation because the the people on her side were not really the best people in terms of like coaching her and like preparing a normal woman who's just like living life out there. I believe like wherever she lives in like Northern California or something like that. Uh, so somewhere in the Pacific Northwest to deal with like the, the viciousness of the, the media and all the people online who, who call her a lie, who call her crazy, who call like the, the viciousness of people who claim to be like the, the viciousness of people who claim to be like the most woke and the most pro me too. these liberals who are currently again going to bat for Andrew Cuomo of all people. Uh, or had been for a while before the accusation started to get really serious. Like, these are vicious, vicious people. And they really, really came for Tara Reid, combed through every little thing that she may have had, all the questions, and tried to exploit them and really make them look as bad as possible here. Um, yeah, so yeah. So the, the, this is the key line here from the story, again, by Ryan Grimm. The documents do make it clear, however, that the story Reid told of her graduation, that it was handled in a unique, private way to her, due to her domestic records violence-related uh, legal name change uh, is consistent with the records in her file. Last year, uh, Twin claims that Reid had not graduated college and had not been a member of the faculty at Antioch were major blows to Reed's reputation. And pretty much because of the fact that she apparently was lying in some sort of, uh, in, in this way, which is kind of very much disputed by Reed and her lawyers, uh, was a pretty much a big thing to, to call her a liar in the Biden, uh, Biden allegations, to cast aspersions upon her character, cast aspersions upon her reputation in a much broader sense that led to her uh, the questioning of something that was obviously clearly a very, very traumatic issue and a very, very traumatic thing for her. So it was not good. Um, yeah. The claims, yeah, they were widely repeated in the press, were sourced to an Antioch spokesperson and prompted the Monterey County District Attorney's Office to launch a probe and whether Reed had lied about the degree or her employment in court. The probe has been concluded and no charges were filed, so that looks good for her. Uh, the reporting also led the Seattle University Law School, where she graduated from law school, to threaten to rescind her law degree unless she could produce a transcript from her undergraduate years. Uh, Reed attended but did not graduate from Antioch University. She was never a faculty member. She did provide several hours of administrative work, Karen Hamilton said. As the Antioch spokesperson told CNN in May, CNN reported uh, that Reed claimed she received a Bachelor's of Arts degree from Antioch University in Seattle under the auspices of a protected program personally working with her former with the former president of the school to ensure identity was protected while she obtained credits for her degree. The outlet added that an Antioch University official told CNN that such a protected program does not exist and never has. The New York Times dialed up the charge, writing about her time in law school, saying, quote, she was so poor she had to borrow law books and occasionally brought her daughter to class when she couldn't find childcare. Her classmate Jennifer Robinson, who practices law in Seattle, called her dark, heavy sadness and said it appeared to be a real genuine fear and was a huge part of her identity. Uh, she harbored a secret. She never obtained the undergraduate degree required for law school admission. That's what uh, that's that's the claim that they made, that she lied about her undergraduate degree and faked her way into law school. So she's a liar, and of course, she was completely lying about Biden. She was never in the Senate. She was never uh, around for that uh, exchange and that fateful moment with Biden there. Uh, the claim um, that really... Reed harbored a secret is an unusual one for the Times to make, as the paper often tells readers that while it can describe actions, it can't penetrate the thoughts 
of his subjects in order to know whether they are lying. The Times story not only claimed that Reed hadn't graduated, but also that Reed knew she had not graduated, casting doubt on Reed's explanation. There was an arrangement between the college and law school that was connected to a protective program for domestic violence victims. The Post, meanwhile, did not go as far as the Times in its response to Reed. The paper noted that the university publicly claimed that Reed had not graduated, and the Post merely reported the discrepancy between Reed's claim and the one made by her school, pretty much not taking any sides there the way the Times was anxious to jump to do. Uh, the Indeed, the inter, uh, the university much uh, said much the same to The Intercept in a request for comment, though the sharpness of the original response, um, that she, quote, did not graduate from Antioch University, is shaded a bit, saying, quote, based on our records, Reed was not conferred an undergraduate degree by our institution that was Rebecca Todd the university university's general counsel um like much else with Reed who has led a life the New York Times described as a tumultuous journey in its headline her undergraduate and law school files are complicated and very difficult to untangle in 1998 Reed who uh received what's known as a uh, Tarasoff warning according to court documents under California law, the confidentiality agreements can and must be breached by officials, such as social workers or therapists, if they come f- upon information a person's life is in imminent danger. Reed's former husband's probation officer issued one such warning, and local police alerted Reed that she and her daughter were in danger. Reed, through a program run by the Walnut Avenue Family and Women's Center, moved to Seattle, where she was transferred to the organization New Beginnings, traveling through a network of domestic violence shelters. So, I mean, she's really had to go through a lot of stuff. She's had to hide her her identity and literally conceal her identity for fear for her life here. Um, In September 2000, under the name Alexander... Alexandra McCabe, Reed unrolled in Antioch University's Seattle Bachelor Degree Completion Program. Reed had, to that point, attended at least four colleges, Quaestor College, Long Beach City College, Pasadena City College, and UC Santa Barbara. Antioch University operates in a quarter system rather than the standard semesters, so after converting, she had earned nine credits. So pretty much, uh, that is a big discrepancy in her whole history, and... um, one that she is now moving to fight back against and correct the record in an incredibly kind of complex. If you could, if you want to know really the, the entire educational history of Tara Reid, uh, I won't get into it, but you can certainly look it up. But the, pretty much the point, everything you need to know with this story is that uh, she she really had to go through quite a lot in terms of moving between colleges um, to protect herself from legitimate domestic violence threats that she had uh, faced in the past, and it was kind of uh kind of very clear the unusual steps that certain journalistic outlets took to to make it oh yeah yeah she's lying she's she's not telling the truth here and of course that really questioned uh her credibility in very important other matters related to uh why she was in the news of course as her allegations against joe biden all right we're going to take a look at what's going on with that amazon union in one minute SWRN has so much going on to tell you about. We, of course, have to start with Newsflash. We continue to make the grind to our 500th episode. That'll be on Sunday the 28th with a big panel special bringing back some of your favorite Newsflash contributors. Until then, we'll be on the air, as always, every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday with that show. We started up our supplementary programming 
with a special all-new redesign edition of Uncultured Design to highlight some of the most interesting parts of hip-hop, whether it be past or present. And, of course, we are working on that brand new season of Hidden History, continuing telling the stories we told in season one. Spencer Walsh Radio Network, listen today on speaker.com slash TSWS. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are keeping you posted on the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. The best way to support us, you don't have to subscribe to anything, is to uh, yeah, go leave us a rate, go leave us a review on um, wherever you listen, whether it be Spreaker, whether it be uh, Apple Podcasts, just go in there, go do it. And uh, yeah, that is definitely something that would be heavily, heavily good for us and a great way to share the show. And of course, listen to those ads. Very, very important. Anyway, so this is a great piece here in the NPR. Alina Selik, 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 I'm definitely saying that name wrong, uh, about Amazon, where Jennifer Bates, she often finds peace drinking pee on her ta- tea on her patio. Uh, but the, these days, to use her words, the butterflies have filled up her stomach and they won't go away. Butterflies normally come to calm me, Bates says, but this is nerve-wracking because I don't think I'm... Uh, to think I don't know how it's going to go. She said she does not know. And, and what's unsettling her is obviously this ongoing union vote at this Amazon work, work warehouse in uh, Bessemer, Alabama. Some 5,800 workers there are casting ballots to decide whether the company will form its first union, uh, the first warehouse union for Amazon in America. The election, which formally ends on March 29th, has the facility, the community, labor groups, and the company all on the edge of their seats. Some 5,800 people will play a critical role in deciding the future of labor-related conflicts and struggles in this country for quite a long time. If they if they come through here, this is going to be a very, very big deal. And I, I'm sure you may be wondering, oh, we, we're, we're going to have someone on from there. It would be fun to talk to them. Yes, I know, but uh, I've not heard anything from the... Nice lady who I emailed, so uh, that's um, not looking too good for the for the current moment, but we will keep you posted. But the best vote has prompted more than 1,000 Amazon workers in other cities to reach out to the retail, wholesale, and development store union, the group says. Other unions are reporting spikes in inquiries as well. Like, the, like this is really, I think, an incredibly cool uh, sign of solidarity and a sign of people actually waking up to the fact that yes, unions are a tool in this country. They're a tool that you can use if you have been screwed over by your boss in some way. And when people start to realize, people start to get aware of the tools that are available to them and begin to think of ways and uh, begin to realize that yes, it's possible that another world is possible if you're a worker in this country and that you can see a better change in your life. Like, no matter what happens, like, that's a very, very powerful idea that people will not give up easily. It's, it's pretty damn cool. Uh, Amazon has obviously fought off unions in American workhouses for warehouses for decades. 
At uh, Bessemer, the union says about half of the workers signed cards to petition for this election, but unions have historically been a tough sell in Alabama, and Amazon has unleashed a strong push to sway Bessemer workers to vote against unionizing. And if you really want to be, if you're like Joe Biden, who, by the way, was incredibly, and I, I probably one of the best things he's done so far in his presidency, is make that video, that big video in support of not necessarily Amazon, but just uh, and the fight in Alabama, but he said, you know, in Amazon and all over the country, workers have the right to join a union. They don't have to go to listen to meetings with their bosses to tell them why the uh, um, union is bad. Like, it's that's not necessary either. Like, you don't have to do that. Uh, but it has been, like, this is a pretty, um, it's a pretty empowerful, pretty impactful thing uh, for sure. And, yeah, so <laughs> the thing... The thing that just happened is, uh, while while we played, okay, all right, while while I was about to play that video, we just had a temporary blackout here <laughs> in the room, um, but yeah, I think I think we're good. We're we're still recording. Like literally, the lights just went on and off, and I was not going to be able to play that video. But yeah, so this is the this is the video. I've long Wall Street. It was built by the middle class, and unions built the middle class. Unions put power in the hands of workers. They level the playing field. They give you a stronger voice for your health, your safety, higher wages, protection from racial discrimination and sexual harassment. Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union, and especially black and brown workers. I've made it clear, made it clear when I was running, that my administration's policy would be to support unions organizing and the right to collectively bargain. I'm keeping that promise. You should all remember, the National Labor Relations Act didn't just say that unions are allowed to exist. It said that we should encourage unions. So let me be really clear. It's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union. But let me be even more clear. It's not up to an employer to decide that either. The choice to join a union is up to the workers, full stop. Yeah, so that's about half of a two-minute, 20-second video where Joe Biden really fully and firmly makes the case in a way that no other president has done in a very, very long time. I'll tell you one thing. Barack Obama would not have done that. Let me tell you, no way, no how, under any circumstances. But the the fact that he made that video and he made those points was so, so clear, and it inspired people— to and like that that's another great example of the power of the bully pulpit like the power of the president to get out there and say something that we kind of all know is true but when it's coming from the president when it's coming from a place that it really has never come for a democratic administration saying these things from the bully pulpit in a way uh that was clearly and uh, i think very understandably utilized by a lot of different people um that was very very powerful and and uh, organizers on the ground have said it um so yeah early on workers held main or workers say amazon had regular mandatory meetings or information sessions as amazon put it with presentations to convince them that a union is unnecessary those meetings though had to stop by law as the voting began but the campaign continued in other ways amazon blanketed parts of the warehouse with banners and flyers saying quote do it without the dues the company's message is that of course well, the union just wants to collect workers' hard-earned money in the form of dues. And again, this is the most ridiculous, most 
um, completely backwards and nonsensical argument, unions would not be able to survive if that was the case because people would just stop paying dues. No, the truth is what we always know here is that workers have been benefited by those dues because those dues are a small investment on what is a better workplace for you, for your coworkers, and a better life, a more dignified life, a more secure life. And that all comes from your job. And that all comes from the camaraderie of organizing around a shared vision for your life. And it's pretty cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, so the slogan follows workers even into bathroom stalls where Amazon replaced other notices with new union-themed flyers. Batesu's pro unions and managers regularly check in with workers asking them whether they voted yet. So, like, you cannot get, like, the intimidation here, the pressure on these people's backs, like, these regular minimal, like, $15 an hour paid workers is enormous. Like, these people are getting, the weight of the world here is on the shoulders, as the nation is on their shoulders, as the most powerful corporation uh, in the world is, is on them. So, like, it's very hard to imagine them just coming up and saying, yeah. I don't really feel like it was it was probably safer to like this is a massive massive campaign so they're up against a really really tough hill it'll be interesting to see huge huge step for the labor movement huge sign that things are trending upward if this if this vote goes through so if the union vote passes it'll impact everyone at the site and it's important uh all associates understand what that means for them in their day-to-day life working at amazon Amazon said in a statement, we don't believe the RWDSU represents the majority of our employees' views. Our employees choose to work at Amazon because we offer some of the best jobs available everywhere we hire. At the same time, the labor organizers, too, have been texting, calling, and emailing best workers. Like, Amazon can come in there, blanket everything with these shiny flyers, but in the end, if you're a union organizer worth your salt, you're in there, you're texting, you're calling, you're everywhere, you're checking in, are you good, how are you holding up, have you voted yes for the union yet? Well, I don't know. I'm no organizer, so uh, I'm, hopefully these guys are doing a good job because we need them. Uh, they argue the retail union would help Amazon staff get more sway over how they work than more say on safety measures and speed quotas on how Amazon hires, disciplines, and fires people. And at some point out, Amazon, uh, some workers point out, though, Alabama's right-to-work laws say employees can opt out of paying union dues. Uh, Amazon's pitch is, don't let unions come between our relationship, Bates says, but we don't have a relationship, she responds. We have a relationship with a computer and an app. And it was very, very clear. You had people like, all these managers swarming the floor in the early days of the union vote being like, hmm, you're working so hard there. We really value you. You're you're great. How do you do, fellow workers? Do you want a bonus? Like, now that that has to tone down now that the the, uh, the voting has started, and of course, you know, these these very strong, solid laws by the NLRB protecting workers' rights once again. Thank you guys for that. Uh, that's that's sarcasm, by the way. They're they're not not good, not not strong laws there, <laughs> not at all. But um, yeah, the point is, all these people they coming out there, swarming out from their their C-suite offices and their like their kind of biggest and best areas. Um, they're now showing. Amazon workers on the warehouse floor that yes they can pay attention to them they can listen to their needs they can acknowledge their needs and give them what they want um, because it is it, it's something within reach and now they know that they're not doing it and it's making hopefully making the case even stronger for union workers so on Friday Union Drive in Bessemer got a big name endorsement Republican Senator Marco Rubio from neighboring Florida publishing an op-ed accusing Amazon of waging culture war. 
uh, waging a culture war against working class values and saying he stands with the workers. So you got bipartisan support on this. You got actor Danny Glover, some House Democrats. Statement Solidarity came from Stacey Abrams, uh, Major League Baseball Players Association, and President Biden. Uh, this is a vitally important choice, Biden said in a video last week, as that we just played for you there, um, naming Alabama, not Amazon. There should be no intimidation, no coercion, no threats, no anti-union propaganda. Um, so far, few controversies have bubbled up in Bessemer, one over why the timing of the red light outside the warehouse was shortened by the county at Amazon's request in December. Was it to relieve traffic jams or stop organizers from talking to workers in their cars? Amazon says it's common practice for shift changes and uh, peak holiday seasons. Another was a new mailbox that Amazon says was installed by the USPS to make voting convenient, safe, and private, but its position in Amazon's workhouse inside Amazon's tent prompted a flurry of text messages among workers, some wondering if Amazon was trying to monitor their vote. So yeah, like right under the layer, you're going to walk under Sauron's eye in the Amazon workhouse to go cast your your union vote. I don't know why I keep calling it a workhouse, by the way. Um, a rumor had gone around that Amazon would simply close the Bessemer facility if workers tried to unionize. A company representative dis- dis- dismissed the speculation, but uh, such comments have always been common around union elections. Of course, that is the, the ultimate fear tactic put on by Amazon. Like, you, you better vote. You better quash your own union. You better quash your best chances at success. Otherwise, you don't get no job at all. How about that? Uh, in Union Drive in 2000, uh, tried to organize 4,000 Amazon call workers in Seattle, but the company shuttered the center and made a reorganization during the dot-com bust. In 2014, a small group of maintenance and repair techs at the Delaware Warehouse voted against unionizing. And on social media, some Bessemer workers say they're simply tired of all the campaigning and ready for the vote to be over. Federal labor authorities are expected to stream the ballot counting online. Base is still deciding whether she'll watch. The butterflies in her stomach might be too much. March 29th, next, or two Mondays from now, uh, we will have the vote wrapped up. So, yeah, that is that is very, very exciting news. Uh, and, yeah, we, we should probably, like, we should stream that, put it up there somewhere. I don't know. It's going to be a very, very big deal. Uh, but hopefully we get someone on before then from uh, the, the union effort for celebrate them for all the great work that they're doing over there. Uh, and on that note, that's all we got for you today. Appreciate you listening to this show. We'll be back. Uh, and Zach will probably be back with us on Tuesday. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.